I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And you can join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The handle is at Lisa Podcast. And also subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel, Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 135, How Do I Combat My Kids' Perfectionism? You know, when you go back and you kind of wish you could relearn some skills in your teenage years, for me, it's organization. Like, why am I not better organized? Well, Rena, I do think you're organized, but I don't think you're organized in conventional ways. And by conventional, I mean my boring want my desk perfectly clear. But I want to be <laughs> I want to be that person who has everything perfect and organized and and I don't know. I, but I also feel like being so organized boxes me in a little. That's so, the issue, right? That's why I like the way you're organized, which is <laughs> that you've got this like kind of creative flow that I don't always have or I often don't have. And so I sort of feel like let's just be into each other's yangs. Here I, I will that. be my like, you know, super clear desk and um maybe track my little details in my little way and you will be you will bring your brilliant creativity and flow that I think together works quite well. You always help me see. <laughs> you know, you always make the silver lining in the cloud that's gray. I love it. Um we got this letter from this mom who um is talking about her kids' perfectionism and, and I just thought this was really fascinating. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa, I've listened to all your podcasts and I'm grateful for your expertise, wisdom, and empathy towards teens and parents. My 13-year-old daughter battles perfectionism. When she does not succeed in an oftentimes unrealistic goal she sets, she's extremely hard on herself. Goals range from academics to basic trick shots. She drowns in harmful self-talk and tells me she hates herself. 
She says night is the worst because she lays in bed and cries about her failure. My husband and I worry about this leading to depression and other harmful actions. What strategies can I teach or language that I can use to help when her brain gets stuck on obsessively working toward a goal? Thank you so much. You know, it's just so fascinating to me in this letter about why do you think the kids have this perfectionism that they have to get it right and perfect? What, how does that even begin in the, in the brain? So sometimes it's because we've encouraged it, right? Mm. Whereas sometimes like we'll have this child's 13, but maybe like an eight, nine, 10-year-old who you know is really taking a lot of effort with their homework and like doing a really good job and starting over if they make mistakes and like turning in beautifully polished projects. And we're like, look at you. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. We love it. So like we're essentially reinforcing it. So sometimes that's what's happened. That said, Rena, I can tell you there are a lot of times where I've thought like, oh, somehow the parents encouraged this or somehow the parents have egged this on. And I meet the parents and they're like, honest to goodness, like this is not coming from us. And they're telling me the truth. Like I know they're telling me the truth. They're like, we are pretty easygoing. We have always told him. We've always told her, you know, kids. Um, we told her that, you know, we just want you to give it a good effort. We want you to learn. We want you to enjoy school. And like this sort of um, iron grip on getting everything exactly right. Like we don't know where it came from, but like it is not us. And I think mm. that's really true. Like kids can get really, really attached to this idea of, I'll call it flawlessness, right? Of having no chinks in their armor, no errors at all. And the letter uses the word obsessive and become obsessive about it, like have sort of a can't stop feeling like they think about it all the time. But why do you think this, if it's not the parent, then where does it come from about needing to be so perfect? And then, I mean, we all know when you lay in bed and you've got a thousand things to do, you just start, it's, it is the worst feeling at night. Yeah. And, and I see exactly why this parent wrote into you. Yeah. I mean, you really ache for this kid, right? Mm. I mean, this sounds like really like she's sort of tortured by it. So in terms of the why, there can be, you know, that it's been encouraged or reinforced, but it's also sometimes kids just kind of get stuck on this, like mm. this idea that they can, um, that perfection is available to them. And Rena, I think what's interesting, and this is embedded in the letter, but it's important to sort of pull it into the light. Perfectionism is a game of extremes. And what I mean by that is people who get into sort of what I would call like toxic perfectionism as this kid for sure, either it is totally perfect. And, and you know, often they're like these really, really unattainable standards. And that's also sort of, you know, referred to in the letter, like these very, very high level standards. So it's this extreme of like very, very high standard and like extremely perfect, perfect outcome. And if that is not achieved then the person feels worthless, lousy, like there's nothing good, that um, they're a total failure. And I think that um, the way we try to approach bringing perfectionism down a few notches into something much more sustainable and livable is to actually go at both extremes, both the over-expectation and also the sense that falling short of this outrageous expectation makes you um, basically like dirt, like worth mm. nothing. And and that's how we want to try to find some um, some middle is by pushing on both extremes. Mm. Lisa, where do you think perfectionism comes from to begin with? You know, I think that it's very hard to say. Like actually, I, I will say on this one, 
I can't say, oh, it's always this or it's always that. Mm -hmm. But I do think it brings to mind something that I often will say clinically, like when I'm caring for somebody in my practice, if they're really, really stuck on a topic and I'm like, where is this going? Or why are we preoccupied with this? Or why are they, you know, kind of driving down this road that to me seems to go nowhere? Usually it's because there's something else they're trying not to deal with or try wow. not to focus really? on. Yeah. And so the construction I'll often use clinically is I'll say, when I realize like, oh, I see why we're going down this road, is I'll say, you know, if you think about, you know, it can fill in the blank, you know, whether or not you're going to get into that program you are waiting to hear from, or if you think, you know, like whatever it is they're obsessing about, then you don't have to think about, you know, the fact mm. that you're about to go visit a family member that you find very painful to see. Mm. So it's One, like a distraction is what It's you're like saying. a distraction. It's like a mental distraction. And so one place I would be curious about for families where they're like, you know, aware that one of their kids is struggling with perfectionism is, you know, is that at work where if they focus on, you know, making sure that there's absolutely no mistakes in this little not big deal assignment that they don't have to worry about so much, does it mean they don't have to focus on the fact that they don't know if they're going to have any plans this weekend and they're feeling really stressed about it. So that's a construction I just want people to have available to them as they're trying to make sense, especially a behavior where you're like, I don't get it. Like this doesn't seem worth the amount of mental energy that it mm -hmm. is taking up. Absolutely. Lisa, we're going to pause and take a quick break. But on the other side, I want to ask you about what parents can do if you've got a child who's dealing with perfectionism. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today, so the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cash back credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cash back? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cash back credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa 
to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. We're talking about dealing with a child who is focused on perfectionism. Lisa, in this situation, as his parent writes in, talking about how they're worried this could lead to depression, other harmful actions, being so focused on being perfect, what do you think it is that parents can do to help? So I'll tell you what they shouldn't do, because I've seen it backfire so many times. Is I, They shouldn't tell the kid, like, ease up, cutie. Don't be so hard on yourself. Of course, this is like incredibly loving and well-meaning. I have never seen it work. And I've usually seen the response from the kid to be like, okay, you guys don't get it. Mm -hmm. You have no standards. You have no morals. (laughs) Like, why would I listen to you? Mm -hmm. So it's important, I think, to not pursue that aggressively as an approach Mm -hmm. because it's not going to work. And instead, to actually go down the line of helping kids to be strategic and tactical. And so what I will often suggest we do when talking about a kid just like the one in the letter is to first admire the very excellent work ethic they have developed because this kid, whatever else, has a work ethic. Like she really wants to get it right and say that is fantastic. You can get nowhere in life without a work ethic. This is amazing. You're 13. You've got a heck of a work ethic. Well done. And then say to them, the next step for you is to become tactical in how you deploy your efforts. So rather than framing it as a like scaling back or easing up, to frame it as like, now, if you really want to show us what Mm -hmm. you got, show us that you can be a tactician. And what I like the words tactician, strategic, which is, okay, you've got a lot of energy, but we want to see you deploy it in ways that make really, really good sense. So you want an A in this class. Okay, fine. Like, we're not going to fight you on that. How strategic can you be? How, where do you really have to work to get the A? Where can you coast to get the A? And coasting not because you're lazy or bad or, you know, somehow incapable, but because you are being an efficient person who is saving your energy so that you can deploy it in all sorts of other places too. Lisa, why does it sound like you're getting them to rethink their perfectionism and kind of channel it in other directions, other areas as well. Do I have that right? Like, why yeah. do you think this works? Like, why does this work for someone who's focused on perfectionism? Well, it gives them a way to think about between us easing up that doesn't look like giving up, right? I mean, I think that you, you're sort of like you're like, oh no, no, you're not giving up. You're actually getting smarter, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually pushing in that direction. 
The other opening it gives the parent involved in this is something new to praise. And one of the nice things about kids who are perfectionistic is they often do like praise. And actually, all kids like praise. And so I sort of feel like, well, then use your praise well. When a kid is polishing something to a high shine that does not require it, don't praise that, right? Because you're just going to encourage that behavior. But when your kid sits there and calculates, like, wait a minute, I've got a 99.99999 in this class. I would like to go to this party. You know what? If I get a 78 on the next test, I will still keep my A. Praise that. Okay. Wow. Now, this is very counterintuitive often yeah. for parents. I, I, I'm struggling as a parent as you're saying this. Like, I would never encourage, get the 78, or it's okay if you get a 78. No, in my book, it's not. <laughs> I know. Arena. Uh, you got to get there. You got to get there. And I will tell you, as the mother of two daughters, I have gotten there while holding my nose the whole way because part of me is like, oh my gosh, like what? I was like such a little brown nosing student. Like, of course, I want you to get great grades on every single thing, every single day. But having cared, especially for girls, but there are also very perfectionistic boys, having done this for my whole career and watching as, let's just stick with girls for the moment, girls who are, you know, become attached to this overwork approach in middle school and nobody says anything or actually people encourage it. If they come into ninth grade, they can kind of sustain it. If they're serious about school and they stay serious about school, the workload by the time they are 10th or 11th grade, if they are taking this approach to the workload, they become crushed by the workload. So I will tell you as soon as any kid, any kid of any gender has a good work ethic in place, if they are academically ambitious, it is really important to start saying, great, now show me how you can be tactical. Because if that kid ends up taking often the kind of academic schedules that ambitious students are taking as a junior, they will need to be tacticians and they need to start that process as early as possible. Wow, that is a skill set I never knew my children needed to have. They do. Um, That's really good to know. Know when you can coast and when you need to put your foot on on the accelerator. I, I'm also I, I'm just so troubled by the mom. I know I brought this up a couple of times about the the negative self-talk. How do you stop that? Especially we all know what it's like to obsess over stuff in our lives, right? We get that. How do you break that cycle? So, okay. So this is good. So we've talked about how you like attack the extreme of like, it's got to be perfect, you know, that you actually shift that to like, no, it's got to be efficient or tactical or strategic. Now at the other extreme, which is I am a piece of garbage, right? Because I am not perfect. How do we attack that? How do we push that towards a gentler um, view of things? So when kids are engaged in negative self-talk, like I'm so lousy, I'm so terrible, I hate myself. I want to give a few different tactics because different families are going to need different things for different kids on different days. So one thing you could do is you could actually just be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I love you and no one gets to talk about you that way, not even you. So basically be like, you're not allowed to talk that way about yourself because I won't let anyone talk that way about you, Mm. yourself included. Mm. So just basically be like, stop, stop. Another thing you can do is to say, I get it. That is your first reaction when you make a mistake. I don't love it as your first reaction. I hate that you feel that way. But I'm going to hang here for a second. Let's see if you can have a second reaction. So Mm -hmm. to create space for them to be like, okay, yeah. So my first thought is I'm terrible. But my second thought is actually that was a really hard project or whatever. So to let's like make room for the kid to get themselves there 
on their own. So walk me through this. If my kid is having negative self-talk, you acknowledge it is what you're saying, but then you give them the space to have a second opinion. So how do you how do you foster that to happen? So I think you could say like, all right, I hear you. I hear you that you're upset with yourself about what you feel to be a mistake, right? And you can even use that language of like, what you feel to be a mistake, like you're already inserting space between their perception and what you think the reality may be. And then you can say, and I get that that may be your first reaction to think that, but I actually think you may also soon have a second reaction. You may be able to see this situation in a different way. So I'm going to wait for that second reaction. So you're just creating it. And do you offer other things to get them to rethink like, oh, look at this and look at this and look at this so then you can have the second once over about the situation. You totally could, right? You mm-hmm. could, if they're like, if they look at you like, what are you talking about? You could say, like, you know, there's a lot of ways to see what just happened, right? You could see it this way, this way, this way, this way. Those are the various reactions I have to it. But I'm also wondering if you might have a reaction yourself. And I think one of the things I've learned as a psychologist is there's more value in having people say the words themselves as opposed mm-hmm. to having us say them to it, mm-hmm. say the words to them. So, if you can kind of lead the chi- the kid to the water of saying, well, actually, you know, I don't know that anybody understood the assignment. It's better for them to say it than for us to say it. So, Because they process it then. You they know they've internalized it. it. It's somehow, yeah, it's, it's organic yeah. to them. Yeah. Okay. Here's another option for when kids are engaged in negative self-talk, which is to say, you and I both know that's not true, right? So just- put that stake in the ground. But I bet it's awful to even think that. To actually empathize with how painful it must be to have that thought about oneself is again, like you're not endorsing it, but you're getting to a tender place of offering compassion that that's even where their mind goes. And then they feel you're sympathizing with them. So you must get where they're possibly at at this point. Yeah. And you must get hope bad it feels to even Mm -hmm. think that thought. But I think it's really important to say like, you and I both know that's not true, but it must be awful to feel that way. Mm. And what we're going there for there, Rina, is an interesting like universe of like self-compassion, right? Self-compassion. And what we want, and we want this in all ways for our kids, is for them to actually be able to take a tender stance toward themselves. And it's interesting around negative self-talk because what we're actually asking for is a split. Like there's a part of you that talks to yourself in that really nasty way. And there's another part of you that could be like, oh my gosh, like this is really painful to even have these thoughts or feelings, even if they're mine. And again, and it's funny, Renette, like all of these themes emerge as we, you know, move through our seasons and we move through topics. There are no quick fixes. There are no instant solutions, but there are cultivations of ways of being and ways of thinking that we can foster over time. And what we can do here is try to foster a gentleness towards oneself in our children. Mm. A gentleness to oneself. Um, 10 years ago, I would not think that that is a parenting thing or a necessity and coming through out of a pandemic and just life in general with social media, boy, that is that is something to keep in mind. Lisa, do you think the parents are overreacting when they say the negative self-talk and the worry about being so perfect could lead to depression? Are they overreacting? I don't think they are. And I hate saying that, but we do have research showing 
that this kind of perfectionism, especially with this like really brutal standards and really um, harsh and critical reaction to falling short of these, you know, outrageous standards, um, does seem to be a contributing factor for some depression, not all depression. And it really, you know, it's not a huge leap to make sense of this, right? That, you know, we all have to live our lives. We are all trying to do things. You know, these are kids who are trying to succeed in school. And if your life is school and you hold yourself to these high standards and then you feel like you're falling short of them and then when you do, you basically just berate yourself, you can see it's a short step to starting to feel depressed. So so they're right to take this seriously and they're right to try to intervene. And I will say there's a lot they can do. And you know, it's the stuff we've talked through, but if it doesn't feel like it's working, Therapy for perfectionism is actually a pretty well-developed universe. Um, we tend to use cognitive behavioral therapies. They tend to be very effective. And what they do is they just work um, in a very systematic way at you know bluntly sticking up for reality. Like how good do you have to be and how bad are you really? And can we continue to measure and assess those things and bring it to a more um, just human and generous place? Mm-hmm. That's so great. I, I love the, the kindness and the gentleness and how important also that you'd said earlier is, is so critical. Is there anything else the parents should keep in mind that might help? I think my my advice in general would be watch what you praise. Watch what mm, you praise. And and good. be careful about praising um, extraordinary efforts that are um, inefficient and unnecessary. And don't miss an opportunity to praise when a kid um, – this is like a negative way of talking about it, but like kind of phones it in or it doesn't try as hard um, because it's not necessary. And and I think that that's actually, um, we tend to get more success with changing behavior through praising behavior as opposed to punishing behaviors we don't mm-hmm. want. So, you know, obviously you're not going to punish a kid like this. Yeah. But, you know, if you look for a moment where they're like, you know, they did an okay job because an okay job is all that needed to be done. It'd be like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I am so impressed. Way to go. More of that. Know when you need to bring it and when you don't. That can actually go pretty far. That is such a good gem to remind parents that praising goes much further than the yelling and the complaining. Um, 100%. That's really good. So Lisa, what do you have for us for parenting to go? There's one more strategy I want parents to have in their toolbox whether your kids are perfectionist or not, which is watch how you talk about yourself. If when you make a mistake, it becomes a parade of, you know, running yourself down or self-flagellation, that's not good for you and it's also not good for your kid to watch. We can work against perfectionism, but we can also just help kids with overall self-esteem if when we make errors, which we do, which I as a mother do on an hourly basis, I would say, <laughs> if we say, you know, you're right. you're right, I made a mistake, I'm thinking it through, I'll try to avoid it going forward, but we do it in a way where we're not shattered, where we make it clear, like, I can absolutely look in a clear-eyed way at my own shortcomings and still maintain a sense that I'm a valuable and worthy person. If we can model that by how we live, and especially if you have teenagers, you'll have a lot of opportunities because they will constantly point out your shortcomings. You can then <laughs> really show like mistakes get made. We're all human. We're all here to try to be better. But 
making a mistake does not mean I'm a worthless person and it doesn't mean you're a worthless person. So again, my favorite quote in all of parenting comes from the inside of a Dove chocolate wrapper. Don't talk about it, be about it. So you can talk, you can be about <sighs> it here. It. I love it. Oh, this is so good. And, and we will make mistakes millions and billions of times over the course of our lifetime. So it's an important lesson to learn. Um, speaking of lessons, clothing, next week we're going to be talking about whether, uh, what do you do when your child loves to wear crop tops, clothing, and when do you draw the line, and what's important, and what doesn't really matter. See you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to Ask Lisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.